Shelly Effect is sponsored by WallStreetRando.com and listeners like you. And now, and now the, most, the most underrated voice in all, in all media, Chuck O'Shelly. August 31, 2021, allegedly, according to that thing we call a calendar. And this is indeed the show you were looking for. How do I know this? Because you found it. Anyway, Tears Day, Tuesday, the second broadcast day of the week here at Ocelli.com. And this week is going to be fairly interesting, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Uh, I got a few things in the works, and I'm not confirmed on a couple of uh, possible guests, but we'll get there. Tomorrow, though, on the Donald Jeffries Show... Paul Schrade will be his guest, and uh, guess what they'll be talking about? The RFK assassination. So that ought to be interesting. I'll be producing that show from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Live. But, of course, it'll also be a podcast at Ocelli.com afterwards. Meanwhile, my show is about to get interesting because we're going to shuffle the deck a little and uh, do a no small part to the fact that J.P. Satilli's taking a break and a couple other people have other issues So we're going to bring in some uh, new people and uh, put people in new spots and uh, do a few things here. So there's going to be a lot of changes in September at Ocelli.com, I assure you. Uh, But uh, the shows that are here are going to remain here, and we should be adding at least one brand new one before September's over as well. And uh, we'll be talking about the Bob Wilson thing coming up. Anyway, all of that having been said, and also want to remind people because uh, the strangest question keeps coming to me from people who pick up the podcast uh, despite the negative feedback from Friday's show uh, <laughs> they, they don't know when it airs live so if, if you're catching this podcast we air even though I release you know what seven eight nine ten graphics a week that have this information on it apparently nobody reads it 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time the Ocelli effect is live some of those shows you can call in not all of them anyway 8 to 10 p.m eastern is the ocelli effect monday through friday unless i decide to change that up which i haven't done in several years so that is the way it is so if you want to listen to the show live catch us that way through your radio app of choice and uh, if not you can go to ocelli.com and just listen straight up through the website if you like anyway Back to business. It is Tears Day Tuesday, so in the first hour we have Michael Swanson with us, the author of not only The War State, but the book Why the Vietnam War, which is the first in a series of a projected three, but I guess we'll see. And uh, boy, is there some interesting topics in that context that might link to current events. Uh, I got to tell you, it has been such a mishmash regarding Afghanistan. I don't even remember how much of it I discussed with Mike, but... Mike and I could kick around any sort of topic in this first hour because, hey, look, Sirhan Sirhan, parole hearing, the reaction, all that good stuff, uh, plus other interests uh, picking up on the Internet as per different. And, uh, hey, Mike might have different viewpoints on things. So that's the first hour that we're going to do. And in the second hour, Pierce Redmond, Porkins himself, he is remaining on the Tuesday show. And uh, JP won't be on there for a little bit. But instead, I'm going to put Donald Jeffries in that slot temporarily. And um, why do I say temporarily? Because I'll be free to actually, oh, I don't know, argue with my host. And we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and uh, we'll, 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 we'll see what everybody thinks of that as we go forward. And uh, if you guys have any suggestions about who else should fill J.P. Satilli's slot, 
let me know. Um, I would personally like to just have him refill his slot when he's ready, but I don't know if he's going to be off for an indeterminate amount of time and not just because of a problem with me or anything. He's just not wanting to do podcasts or radio shows for the time being. And that's that. You want to ask him about it, you go ahead. But anyway, this is the plan for Tuesday. Pierce Redman in the second hour and Michael Swanson with me in the first, the guy behind WallStreetWindow.com, who, um, by the way, you will be hearing a change in the little ad that we run <laughs> in the middle of the show very soon. I've had a little more trouble with it than I wanted to. Power outages, migraine headaches, uh, a few other things have kept me from getting the work done plus some sidetracking of other sorts that you guys don't even need to hear about behind the scenes. But anyway, wallstreetwindow.com, not only a place to learn about Wall Street, but also, hey, global concerns of all sorts. And I don't mean just globalist concerns. I do mean things around the world, locally, etc. Interesting news feed you can get. You can go there and sign up at wallstreetwindow.com and get on the mailing list. And you too can enjoy the morning emails that I get from Mike uh, regarding a great many different topics. Uh, is Wall Street part of it? Sometimes. But quite frankly, not always the thing I'm paying attention to because I got no skin in that game. But anyway, Mike, <clears throat> uh, as per usual, it's always great to talk to you. And you're going to take uh, a few shows off yourself. But uh, I, I do believe you're going to stick with us anyway <laughs> for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in a couple weeks. Uh Yeah. So I'll be here for the I'll be here for the next couple of weeks. Excellent. Well, good thing because a lot of stuff going on. Like I said, we sure. could talk about Afghanistan. We could talk about uh, you know Sirhan Sirhan getting parole and what that actually means and the different split support with the uh, Kennedy family, if you like. And if not, hey, we could talk about anything. Uh, we 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 could well, talk I'll about. Well, I'll just local. say I, I did want to talk a little bit about the war and terror stuff, but I just say the Kennedy family thing. Oh, if, oh well, if people don't know. Uh, there's talk of paroling Sirhan Sirhan. Uh, well, not talk of it. Been... He's been granted it by the parole board. It's... But I think they still got to have one more step to it's finalized, right? Yeah. Well, it can be revoked. Like it, it could be turned away by the governor. Mm. Um, and you know the the rest of the process, but the, the major hurdle is done. Okay. So the thing is, uh, he's not free yet. So the process is incomplete, and the governor, which is currently Gavin Newsom, who is facing a recall, um, could literally, you know, deny it in the uh, in the stream of the process. But I don't know. You know, there, there's been the the two uh, uh, Kennedy brothers uh, who are the children of Robert F. Kennedy, uh, who have you know been in support of this, and then apparently the the rest of his I think nine kids. Uh, signed a collective letter spearheaded by Rory of all people um, to say, look, uh, you know, this guy murdered our father and, and, and robbed the country of uh, somebody important and also robbed yeah, us that's, of our... that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's a split thing. But if you remember when it came to, uh, you know, the Martin Luther King Jr. case in, uh, in 1999, the, it, look, that was not the entirety of the King family getting behind that uh that that wrongful death that. Uh, some of them were against it it wasn't that they were against it it's just that they they had no desire to pursue it oh okay yeah yeah and so there is a difference between what dexter king wanted and maybe what martin luther king uh the third wanted well i'll just say do you remember what year that was 1999 
Okay. Yeah, that's when I'll that... just say. Yeah, that's makes sense. So yeah. when that happened, I was at University of Virginia, mm-hmm. and ninety nine. Yeah. Okay. The, the I was a trial. teaching assistant mm-hmm. for Julian Bond, who who's since passed away, mm-hmm. but he was at one time after. I left University of Virginia. He became the head of the NAACP, but in the 1960s, he was an activist and a, and a visible one. Right. In fact, he ran for office in Georgia. I think it was the state legislature. Yeah, I, c- I can't remember all the details, but I think he won, and then somehow they refused to seat him. But anyway, uh, would I, I bring this up because he, this class he was teaching was very popular, and you know, of undergraduate students, because here's someone teaching about the civil rights movement who mm-hmm. was part of it. Um, and when this when this thing happened with uh, this trial and statements among parts of the King family were in support of James Earl Ray, he talked about this before one of his classes mm-hmm. and said Ray was guilty. And it's you know I don't remember exactly you know, words over 20 years ago, but he, he was basically saying the guy was guilty and, you know, the, the, the King family had been fooled and bought and so forth. So, well, look, uh, people have had a variety. I'm not agreeing with that. I'm just, yeah, no, and and just a memory of it, you know, no, 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 fair fair enough. And people have had a variety (laughs) of different reactions to that civil case. I mean, I would tell you that it is interesting and people don't know that, uh, uh, a, a collection of defendants was found uh, liable in the the murder of Dr. King, uh, which in effect means that they believed in that court for the time being that, uh, well, it, it clearly was a conspiracy if you have a variety of parties involved in a singular action, right? But, you know, the HSCA concluded that it was most likely a conspiracy. That's right. Uh, and it, it, here we go again, but the official narrative remains, no, it's just this one guy, he's just, you know, whatever. Um, and there's a lot to be said about it. Now, somebody commented in the chat room, oh, Judge Joe Brown presided over this. Briefly, he did, but he was removed from the case, Joe Brown. <laughs> so uh, there, there's there's a whole story behind that, which we're not going to descend into. But Well, there's two you know. cases, too. There, there was a, one made for television and then the one in 99. Uh, there was, I think the first one was like on HBO, but it wasn't an official you know, court proceeding. Okay, well, if you so, count that as a case, Mike, yeah, in, in yeah. reality, there's three then. Because okay. there, there's the made-for-TV stuff, but then in reality, James Earl Ray was seeking a uh, a new trial, and the judge whose uh, uh, you know request was on that judge's desk, I believe his name was Battle. Uh, I, believe, I I'm pretty sure his last name was Battle. Uh, he died with James Earl Ray's request for a new trial on his and that desk. That was in the seventies, right? No, this is uh, oh. this is in the '90s, and then okay. Judge Joe Brown, uh, the guy that we do know from TV, uh, inherited it because he was a judge in Memphis at the time. But he was a real judge too, not just TV judge. Oh no, no, not just a TV. I mean, he was yeah. literally a judge, yeah, in Memphis. So <laughs> he inherited the case, and Joe Brown wanted the weapon tested and a whole bunch of stuff uh, that the government really resisted. 
And as it stood, James Earl Ray did not wind up with his new trial, wound up, uh, you know, and, and we know how that goes. But after all that, uh, this, uh, this civil trial was put together. And that is a separate issue. And in fact, TV plays a role in that because one of the, uh, you know, uh, accused conspirators was this guy who owned a, uh, a bar and grill kind of thing, I think. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, right. My memory's a little vague on this. You're but... right. You're right. It was, it, was, it was the building across the street from where the, Martin Luther King was shot. From the Lorraine Motel, yeah. And James Earl Ray was staying in it. Well, he was staying in the rooming house part of it, but there right. was a bar and grill on the bottom. There, there's a yeah, whole yeah, thing yeah. to yeah. it. Uh, that was part of the building he was staying in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you you gotta you gotta really take a good you know Google Earth that section of Memphis there and take a look at it. It's it's interesting. It's a little different than it used to be, and mm. uh, there is the Civil Rights Museum that exists now where the Lorraine Motel was. But um, I, there there's there's a lot to it. But I'm just saying it, it's. This is now a, a, a wholly separate issue, though, because you have Sirhan, who was convicted and then had a, uh, you know, a commuted sentence and has been in prison now for 53 years. So, you know, the the two principles with the Kennedy kids who agree with it, uh, the idea that, I mean, one of them was present at the parole hearing, uh, supposedly, and uh, RFK Jr. has been vocal about uh, a bunch of things here, but... A little bit muted, not really like, you know, full on uh, stating that, you know, say uh, Sirhan is innocent or anything like that. But he's had some statements to make here that there are questions and that are remain unanswered. Um, and uh, there is the argument made by those two brothers who are the children of Bobby Kennedy that, uh, you know, basically, look, even our father would probably support this guy being released by now. Um, and look. It's hard to speak for a dead man, and who knows what might have changed in that man's mind between 1968 and now, even if he'd be alive anyway. Uh, you know, who, who knows? Would he be the kind of guy who was for, you know, hanging Sirhan, or would he be for mercy at, after so many years? Is You know, it's a whole question. But the, the other uh, children, uh, like I said, offered a public statement, which they don't normally do, it's it's of interest, but I think there's going to be more to this story as we go. And as I've said, it's going to be fascinating to see what Newsom will do with this because, you know, depending on which way the wind blows, if somebody thinks that he's a little light on law enforcement or uh, law and order, should I say? Not law enforcement. Law and order as a uh, politician, uh, who knows if, if this would be the thing that he would do to kind of grab a headline, get a little shocker and maybe get a little more support from the people that are challenging him. But on the other hand, when you got Larry Elder leading the pack of, you know, 40 candidates against you, I I, I, I tend to think you're not going to change the minds of the people that oppose you anyway. But uh, it is something to keep an eye on, and it is an incomplete story at this point, the way I see it. So I don't know if you have thoughts on that, or if you want to go into a whole other direction. I've only killed about 15 minutes of this hour, so <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> No, well, it's just more, to me, curious. I mean, both the Martin Luther King and the RFK cases are, to me, a little similar in that there's so many, especially the RFK case, there's so many facts about it Mm -hmm. that make it apparent to me that there is some 
something more to it than simply the lo- alone another lone gunman. You know, the the coroner's report for one shows that uh, the gun that killed Robert Kennedy, or at least a gun that killed him, <laughs> if there's more than one used, was uh, very close to the back of his head because of the residue from. Uh, gunpowder. Well, you have a hey, stiffling well, pattern. You have a stiffling. Huh? You have a stiffling pattern on the back of the ear, which is residue yeah. from the gas that's released from the firearm. Sirhan was in front of him, and you know, Sir so that doesn't in front, make sense. And, and that's then, from the back of his you know, ear. Yeah, yeah. It, it, photographs make it look like there are more bullets than could have, you know, than than are accounted for in one gun. Photographs and, some and witnesses say that I think that's what the Paul Schrade guy. Well, and believes. a tape recorder and a tape recorder oh, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, running. Hey, that's right. And yeah, more shots of the tape recorder and so forth. Say, so, and yeah. there's been accusations of a certain uh, uh, security guard Thane having Eugene been Caesar. the yeah. gunman, mm-hmm. and then and so forth. But you know, Sirhan was there. Sirhan. Well, not only was he there, but... He was firing a weapon, or at least he believed he was firing a weapon. Of of the three uh, (laughs) accused assassins here, look, uh, you know, James Earl Ray was convicted, and Sirhan Sirhan was convicted. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was not. Uh, You know, between RFK, JFK, and MLK, you, you have a big difference here in that Sirhan was captured on the scene with a gun in his hand. That is not true of Oswald or James Earl Ray in a so literal he's sense. Sim- he's sim- more similar to the character that tried to kill Reagan and the guy that short- shot George Wallace than he is to Oswald, I would say. Yeah, see, I see a comment in my chat room, RFK turned his head. Well, un- unless it's a scene from The Exorcist, you can't get that angle the way RFK was standing when he was shot. Uh, there, there have been people who have tried to say that he twisted completely around backwards when he fell, and that's when he got hit in the head after being shot. Also, one bullet went through his suit jacket and didn't seem to actually touch him. Uh, that's another thing that happened. But, you know, it, here we go. It's just, it's very questionable. It's problematic. Uh, and And really does seem to need some more investigation. In fact, it has been, you know, sort of reinvestigated and was considered for the HSCA in the 70s. Uh, But they didn't quite follow through on it. They ended up with the King case and the JFK case. Uh, But this idea that he, he, you know, turned his head, very, very hard to believe um, that that's how that got done. Something is wrong with the evidence here, one way or another. But I have no. Uh, it, to me, it's sort of more apparent that it's a conspiracy than the King case, and, and maybe even quicker to show that it is than the Kennedy case. Yeah, see, in this way, you would agree with Vince Bugliosi, right? Who? Oh, is that what he says? Vince Bugliosi at one point said that uh, it was absolutely ridiculous to not think that that was a you know a questionable case there and needs to be looked at. Uh, on the other hand, the, the JFK case, you know. You know where he came down on that. Uh, so, but 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 I think it's easier, and that's not the right word for it. But it, you have more of a chance to figure out who's behind the President Kennedy assassination and the RFK assassination. I just don't. I ain't got an idea. 
Well, see, and here's the other thing is when you get into, well, was he hypnotized? Was there mind control? Was there the girl in the polka dot dress handling him? You know, is it that he's just brain damaged from the horse kicking him in the head or whatever? I mean, you got all kinds of stuff going on here. But the same thing, it's the same sort of thing what I meant, you know, about the guy that tried to shoot Reagan and the guy that did shoot George Wallace and paralyze him. They were nuts. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that guy shot Reagan, though. He did shoot him. He just didn't yeah, kill yeah. him. <laughs> so, so, I mean, there's a similarity in that. And, and they had strange backgrounds of traveling around and, oh, yeah, you, know, yeah, not, yeah. you know, not really clear how they able to, especially the guy, I forget, Arthur Bremer. Who, who shot George Wallace? He was traveling, doing all these things. Didn't have a job, and he's like, "How's this guy doing this?" You know. And, yeah, and then you have, you know, and that's in that same, you know, era there. Uh, I, I always like to point this out that Gerald Ford had two uh, would-be Don't assassins you. that were women, uh, Sarah Jane Elmore and Squeaky Prom, both uh, women trying to kill him. Uh, and you know, <laughs> here's the thing. At the end of the day, that just comes down to, well, there's two nutcases trying to kill Gerald Ford. Um, but anyway, <laughs> there's, look, there's a lot to be examined here. I, I don't, you know, I don't pretend to know all the facts when it comes to the RFK case, but I got to tell you, it's yet again another one of these situations where the evidence doesn't quite line up with what the official story ends up being. Um and at the same time, it's, you know, there are people that say, oh, he had blanks in his gun and all this. I, I think the uh, other individuals who were shot that day might beg to differ. And look, it's going to be interesting tomorrow to see what uh, Donald Jeffries gets out of Paul Schrade. Because uh, I'm sure he's going to have something to say about this. And uh, considering the fact that he was there and uh, what was his job again? Um, I, I, I think he was, uh, what, some sort of head, head of diplomacy for the campaign or something. There, there now, is. Yeah. yeah. So what I was thinking of talking about was what I was going to talk or get to is my two connections to the central intelligence agency. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mike Swanson connected to the CIA. You heard it here so. first. Okay. Well, by all means, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Well, when I I mentioned I went to University of Virginia, and they had a, a, a I had the roommate, and what was the movie called? Um, well, give me a hint. I'll help you. There was a movie made. It had Sean Penn in it. And it the was Falcon, about the Falcon and huh? the Snowman. The Falcon yeah, and the Snowman. Exactly. That's it. That's mm-hmm. it. So the story in that movie is uh, Sean Penn's into drugs, and he's got this buddy. He's a drug dealer, and his buddy is um, working for the CIA, or the NSA. Well, I can't remember which one, but he's in this little room. You know, this is like it's a nineteen. It's like film made in like nineteen eighty, and he gets cables uh from all over the world Mm -hmm. and i guess his job is to collect them or trans you know decode them or something for the superiors but he reads them and through reading the cables he became becomes disgusted with what the cia is doing and wants because they're they're talking about coups and you know it things immoral actions and he gets in his mind that he should 
just give this information to the KGB in the Sean Penn character, he gets in with him, he's a drug dealer. He's he says, Oh, this he thinks this is a good idea. We can do this and, and make money, sell the information. Right. Uh, and so that's what ends up happening. And then they get caught. And I think it's actually supposed to be a true story, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, based on uh, one one of those based on a true story deals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so anyway, I had this roommate and he, he was uh, what's the word for it? NP, I guess I guess describe it this way: an NPR listener. I'll put it that way. Hmm. And we watched this movie, and you know, I already did not like the Central Intelligence Agency. Um, I'm a my father told didn't like them. That's the second connection I'm going to talk about. Uh, but so, you know, I didn't like them and watched this movie, and my friend thinks oh it says like oh they're bad you know because you can see the depiction of them you know this guy seeing the bad things they're doing but then there was a job fair at at the college Mm -hmm. and the ca had a booth and uh my buddy went he got um an application from them and uh (laughs) filled it out and it was pretty crazy mm-hmm. um, it was basically a psychological profile asking all these weird you know questions trying to come up with what your psychology is actually I think they depicted this in that Snowden movie um, well I can tell you firsthand. applying I applied at one point to, for, for a job with the NSA okay um and yeah they they give you a couple of different uh tests so to speak uh it might have evolved since then but that one of them is clearly just meant to be a, like a psychological profile um and uh they they ask you a lot of personal questions and then quite frankly uh what they start doing is interviewing people that <laughs> have been part of your life <laughs> they, oh, wow. they'll do that too uh, and but I, well, the yeah. questions I, I just remember some of the questions were asking like, would you break the law to for a greater cause or for the country or just how, how would you break into a root, a building to get a, get something stuff like that's all I really remember. But but yeah, a uh, bunch of questions trying to figure out. Look, if it was you know for a patriotic reason, would you you know do something terrible? Uh, you yeah, know, and stuff, stuff like, like but that. But I, yeah. I went and talked to them so. Um, I wasn't intending to do it, but the, that job fair, you know, wasn't just them was going on. And I just went to it and walked around and they had a booth, mm-hmm. you know, the booth that this guy, my friend went to, I don't, he never joined them. I don't know if he f- completely filled out the application, but, but it's just kind of funny here. You watched what was funny about it is he watched the movie and, and didn't like the CIA, but then was intrigued by him, mm. you know? <laughs> that's I, you know maybe that's what the kind of people they get you know but but anyway they had a, a booth there and I saw them at their booth and I walked up to them and I don't I asked a couple questions I don't remember what they were and out of nowhere though somebody came out it was like a, a very you know a, lot, a crowded area and someone came out of nowhere as I'm talking to these two CA people and took my photograph. Right. 
you know, with a camera. And I, 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 and I said to the CA people, I said, look, I'm out of here. I ain't playing any more of, you know, and I cursed at them, your spy games. And just turned around and left. Right. Okay, so at a job fair, you're at the table telling them to, uh, you know, go stuff it. And that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. um, but, no, see, post 9-11 uh, in 2002, I put in an application. Uh, why? Because they really badly needed signals analysts. Um, and I, I had a few skills that I thought would be useful to them. Uh <laughs> Thought it would be a good job, and at that point was still, you know, on board with the idea of let's get together and deal with the uh, the terrorists, you know. So I, I have obviously changed my position since then, but um, <laughs> the uh, the the idea was that uh, they they had uh, they they sort of had an open thing where you could fill out an application online, and then they sifted through those and uh, went after candidates. Okay. Um, and I wasn't going to be, you know, useful as any sort of CIA agent in the field or anything because of my bad eyesight, I guess. But uh, but they they knew a whole lot of stuff when they came to talk to me and act like they well let's get to know you. Um, and it it, it turned into a whole mess. But it was like and and it was like a two year process, by the way. Mm. Uh, which obviously I didn't get the job, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, um. My uh, my then wife scuttled it for me nicely, but um, you know, so I guess I guess she did me one favor there, um, and you know, it was really weird though. They they already knew you know your school records, your criminal record, anything else. Uh, they asked questions they already knew the answers to regarding like you know my tattoos and all kinds of crap, um, but they knew stuff that you know shouldn't have been known. And uh, it was another instance where I where I was, you know, alerted to the idea that the FBI keeps a file on you. Um, and, you know, they did that starting when I was 12. I told you that story, I'm sure. Yeah. But anyway, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. So what's your other connection besides the job fair? <laughs> so, yeah, well, I was going to talk. I was just going to talk about this last week, but with the war on terror, it was not the Afghanistan war that got me, you know, worked up or upset, but the Iraq war. Right. Because my dad, I said a little bit about this off the air, but I've told you a little bit, I think in person, but he, he was in the army. He was a colonel in the army Mm -hmm. and he was in the medical corps. But what, I don't know everything. He was in there for 20 years, so I, I don't know everything he did. Uh, but I, but at one point during his career, he was one of the top experts on defending soldiers mm-hmm. against chemical weapons. Right. So, and he would have been useful just theoretically and I, I hope you don't mind me saying but he would have yeah. been useful as an intelligence asset uh because not only could they collect data about this if he were treating you know some of ours but quite frankly a lot of times if these guys are in the field somewhere guess what they wind up treating the enemy sometimes and encountering them as well and you can use doctors you know they're, they're thought of as well it's a doctor it doesn't matter if he's wearing a uniform um 
you can use doctors to collect intelligence. And, oh, yeah. You know, well, so, he, yeah. He, he was, you know, he told me bits and little, you know, different stories, you know, kind of like as he was retiring and after he retired, because I was old enough by then, I guess, to listen, mm. <laughs> you know, or start to. But um, he, for example, in the 80s and uh, before the Berlin Wall fell, uh, you know, it was NATO against the Warsaw Pact, and he was involved in the war plans of uh, part of the war plans on how would you organize uh, the hospitals, the medical personnel to deal with casualties that could come from chemical weapons. Now, as one of the things he told me, you know, he had access. One of the things he he told me that he believed that mm-hmm. chemical weapons as a whole are fairly actually useless mm-hmm. in battle. Of uh, that, not many you know they were used in World War One um, with success only like the first time they were used, and just about every other time since then that they've ever been used, they've never decided a battle and. He had studied, you know, what happens when they're used. And the the last time they were really used was in the 80s when Iran and Iraq were at war. Right. And Iraq used them against Iran. They used mustard gas. Um, and he had access to the raw intelligence data of right. this mm-hmm. and what the impact was on the battlefield. Right. And this has since been declassified. I looked, the CIA came up, made reports about about what happened. So, right. to make a long story short, the only effect they had was they hospitalized people. They didn't kill them. They didn't kill the Iranians it was used against. It didn't cause them to lose a battle, but it caused ca- enough casualties that for a period of time it filled up the hospitals or the medical support well see here's the thing about it and that's so that's the only real you know usage yeah. that sort of weapon has well, but but here's the thing about it it's not a decisive winner of battles no. it, it has not been and uh, like you said uh, since the days when you know you were basically filling a trench with, with chemicals in world war 1 Right. Uh, it has not been useful in suppressing troops uh, in in a uh, in a significant way. However, uh, when you deal with asymmetrical uh, situations, where it is not one army facing up against another in a uh, you know in in a typical way in a standard sort of way, and you have an insurgency or you have guerrilla tactics being employed, chemical weapons can be extremely useful for a small force uh, attempting to disrupt the, uh, you know, the, the regular military movements. Uh, so it, it can be useful, but it's not a decisive weapon for points of victory and this kind of thing, <clears throat> which is is of significance but again if you're not thinking about it in a you know conventional military sense 
it's still useful. Uh, and, and the mustard gas and uh, the, the chlorine and stuff that was used in Iraq, uh, look, it hasn't been declassified entirely yet, but I suspect there were uh, other weapons employed there as well. Uh, you know, what exactly was used on the Kurds and all that kind of stuff. Look, I, I, I think still not entirely well, they known. They used, they used uh, mustard gas against Iran and the Iraq War in 91, 88. They gassed uh, Kurdish people. Right, that's what I'm saying. That the are Kurds, kind of yeah. doing what you're describing. And they used, um, if I remember correctly, sarin... Gas, right? In a concentrated area, uh, like in a city or a town, and then outside of the town, they flooded that area with mustard gas to keep the people trapped inside of it. Yeah, no, that's the thing. But the sarin, if you notice, is not uh, uh, readily sort of uh, acknowledged. Uh, as easily as some of these other things, which are way less lethal. Um, right. And I think the reason is that, you know, just bottom line, uh, where do you think they got it from? You know, they did not develop it. I know there was a whole narrative about they have their mobile chemical labs, and they didn't have none of that. They, they, well, there's, they been, there's been books. Like, I mean, there was a book written in the 90s, I think it was, saying that they got the stuff from the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean that that there's more than just a book. There, there's plenty of reports uh, from individuals who claim they know exactly where it came from, and despite the fact that it is uh, in violation of various international agreements, it was utilized. And very likely, uh, if you take a look at the point of origin for some of those chemicals, and I bet there's more than just what we listed here. Uh, again, this is my suspicion, but uh, there are reports from individuals who have tried to uh, reveal things that as of yet have not been declassified. Um, that, you know, it, it's it's much greater an issue than we think it is. And indeed, you know, I, I would connect the whole Gulf War Syndrome thing. I know it's a long forgotten deal now, but uh, I would connect it to exposure to various uh, chemical agents in the field. Um, and then what do we have when we have the, uh, you know, the new invasion of Iraq? Well, then you got depleted uranium everywhere and, oh, hush, hush, let's not talk about that either. Right, Mike? Um, you know, and I get the point of it and, uh, it's good anti, uh, armored vehicle weaponry and all that, but same time, how responsible is it to spray it all over a a place like Iraq, you know? But... It's two points I want to make. Mm-hmm. I, I, first is that he, my dad passed away in mm-hmm. in ninety eight, or yeah ninety eight, and uh, September eleventh came, and we talked about that last last week. Mm-hmm. And the September eleventh in the immediate aftermath, yes, I, I thought George Bush, you know, it was a, it was a creepy time and. In, in a lot of ways, but I wasn't really, I was sort of indifferent, uh, to the, to the Afghanistan war. You know, right, I, I didn't right. think, uh, it was going to accomplish anything, but I wasn't thinking it was going to be this giant disaster for the United States. And well, I still, yeah. 
it just you know, I was saying despite it being in the news um, and that we spend all this money there and you know it is a disaster but I don't think it's nowhere the disaster strategically that the Iraq war was and what I, what disturbed me the most uh, wasn't Afghanistan but or 9-11 but the couple months leading up into the Iraq war because first I thought it was going to be a complete disaster and it turned out to be effectively was yeah and I also believed during the run up to the war that it was all lies because well I mean please I do yeah. from my dad look when the I didn't say this but when the first Gulf War happened mm-hmm. he was called up he, he even though he was retired mm-hmm. he was called up and going up to Washington uh, like on the one I don't remember how many weeks in a row but you know as an advisor what you know whatever mm-hmm. um, about chemical weapons in somewhat in some fashion but I I knew from his the conversations I had from him that the idea that Saddam had chemical weapons and that meant he was a a national security threat was an absurdity right even if he had the weapons and I wasn't just saying I didn't believe he had the weapons I didn't believe he was making nuclear weapons which is also being claimed well but you know Colin Powell said yellow cake uranium they were going and yeah. trying to, yeah, but, yeah. But, but it was plenty of critical news reports against that and you know, you could if you weren't watching network news, you could find in newspapers that plenty of stories doubting the whole narrative. Um, but only so far, Mike, because at the time to speak against the president, you're you're if you are you're un-American. Well, you'd have to look for it, I guess. No, you and had to look for it because it. the majority yeah. of it was rah rah, let's go. You know. Oh, sure. That's that's. Well, yeah, that's that was why it was disturbing too, because, you know, look, I'm gonna tell you, uh, you know, I knew from what my dad told me that these weapons were not a threat mm-hmm. to to us, certainly not to the United States, right. and and it's not justifying going to war because someone's got some mustard gas or sarin or these other things. It just isn't. Um, it just does not justify it. No, but here, here's I mean, here's the harsh ridiculous. yeah here's the harsh reality is whatever was used to justify it. There, bottom line is it was time to burn an asset. Hussein had been an asset for the U.S. People forget this, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I I know the U.S. supplied and and funded both oh, sides yeah, of yeah. the Iran Iraq well, war. No, but I mean, I was so it was just a dis- very disturbing time. Mm-hmm. You know, people. For me, because, I mean, I'd go out to dinner with people, and they were just, everyone was so 100% convinced, you know, bought into the idea this was the right thing to do. But but it was really you just... you couldn't tell them anything. I mean, I couldn't say, oh, yeah, I couldn't even tell them, look, my dad was one of the top experts on this stuff. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, they saw on the TV that this is just, they heard Bush, you know. Right. Cheney, they're going to they're gonna kill us. They're going to they're gonna attack us. They're going to... 
do this if we don't pre- prevent them by uh, attacking them. It's crazy. Know, all the justifications. He's harboring terrorists, right? He's yeah. wake, making weapons Sports of mass. It was not, it, 90, almost all of it was false. We- all completely false. Yeah. Weapons of mass destruction. Yellow cake uranium. Uh, he's linked to the people who did 9-11 to us. Al-Qaeda. He's harboring terrorists. He, and, and finally, my, my favorite, he tried to kill my dad. Yeah. Yeah, and don't don't you dare speak against George W. Bush because you are under the protection of the American military, and how dare you? That's the commander-in-chief. I mean, th- this was literally like the attitude, if you even oh, said yeah. something yeah. like that. It was like, hey, look, it doesn't make any sense to me that guys are going to get sent to Iraq here. Why Iraq? Iraq didn't threaten us. Iraq didn't attack us. Iraq... Is just Iraq. I mean, I know, you know, Saddam Hussein, they tried to sell him as the new Hitler, you know, during Desert Shield slash Storm, you know, and and enduring freedom, boy, I I don't know, it was enduring something, but it wasn't enduring freedom in in Afghanistan. But two years later, got to go to Iraq, got to go to Iraq. And, you know, you didn't need insider information to look at that and say objectively, does this make sense? Um. And none of it did. And they threw everything they could up against the wall. Everything they could. Like I said, nuclear weapons, he's threatening us. He's obviously just evil. You know, this is a this is a battle for good and evil. That's how boiled down it was among the public. This guy's evil. We got to go get him. We don't want another 9-11. And that's it. It doesn't matter if it makes any kind of sense. Not- and how many people you know, voted against it in Congress and the Senate. Just like, I mean, was it probably zero in the Senate? Well, when it came to Afghanistan, you got one dissenting vote in the House that I can see. One, okay. One. And in the Senate, none. It was 98 to zero. Two people didn't vote when it came to Afghanistan. I mean, and the Iraq War, despite the, you know, a little more debate about it in public, just a little, though, it was very tempered. It was very tamped down by this idea that how dare you? You're in America. You don't. You can't speak against this. You know. Ah, man, a bad time. Anytime I see something like that, and I'm I'm not going to go to the to the easiest low hanging fruit right now, but you know when you see opposition of any kind being demonized directly. It, uh, you know, and, and just absolutely quelled by the idea that, you know, how dare you question what it is we have to say. Uh, people should automatically uh, see that as very suspicious at its base. And uh, they just don't. I mean, they just don't, Mike. You know, if you convince enough people that there is a boogeyman, you can justify a lot of stuff. I mean, you think about it. The, the the Sandinistas and the Contras, right? Central America. How how did that get justified? Well, we need to fight communism, don't we, Mike? You know, MK Ultra. How did that program get started? The Russians are doing this, and if they're not doing this, they're going to do this. So we got to do this. I mean, so here's 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 on the, on those lines. Here's this other CIA story. All sure, right. go ahead. So, my my dad in the '80s for a couple years, as I was saying. He's one of the most one of the key people in the United States whose job is to figure out how to defend troops 
against chemical weapons. And the primary enemy was the Soviet Union. Right. And so what the focus was, was a possible war in Europe would be the most likely place where chemical weapons would be used against us. And since they had chemical weapons, we also had to have them. Right. Or two. See, but that's um, it. but that's that's why I pointed out that MK Ultra thing because oh yeah, same. It's always that David. That's how that justification started too, right? It's always the enemy is doing this or is gonna do this, so we yeah. have to. Even well, here's yeah. what happens. So yeah. my dad told me the story that he went to the CIA headquarters mm. for some sort of briefing or presentation on on what their intelligence was on the Soviet chemical weapons capability and threat. Mm-hmm. And part of the funny, the funny part of the story is that he, when he got, he got there, he went to like their cafeteria, uh, ate lunch or breakfast, and then went to the, went to go to the briefing and le- had left his special CA pass, you know, security identification card and, that got him in trouble and he had to go get a new one and, and whatever. But when he went to the briefing, this person is presenting information about where the chemical weapons are in the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. you know, how they would deploy them and so forth. And they didn't have the weapons in shells the primary way you deploy these things is through artillery. Right. Right. Artillery shells. And they didn't have them in artillery shells. They were just in stored up somewhere. Mm -hmm. And after the guy gave the presentation, my dad said, well, they don't have the things weaponized. It would take them, you know, if the, if the, if a war starts, it would take them time to get the, the chemicals, moved to the front and then put in the shells then mm-hmm. used. Mm-hmm. So he said it's unlikely they have any plans to even use them or else they would they'd already have deliveries, right? Yeah, they'd already have delivery mechanisms. Right. See, here, they'd be ready to use them. And yeah. the and the guy, he said yeah. the guy giving the briefing, yeah, or someone in the room said, "Oh, yeah, you're right, but no one wants to hear that. Yeah, that's the truth. Look, <laughs> that's the funniest thing right there. Because uh, all right, baseline. <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. It is not hard if I wanted to uh, launch a chemical attack on a small area. I mean, all I need is uh, is access to some chemicals. You give me some nitrogen and a couple of toxic agents, and and I can figure out a way to deliver it. Now. You want it delivered in an efficient manner. You need a mechanism by which to aerosolize things properly. Okay, um, and fact is, if it's weaponized, they're ready to deliver this. They have stuff to do this. The U.S. has it developed perfectly fine, uh, and and other places have ways of doing this. Not just dropping the barrel out of the sky that you know they showed us in Syria, but. There are ways to efficiently do this, okay? <laughs> and um, yeah, 
there was no evidence that the Soviets were ready to utilize these things. And that makes perfect sense to me. But, but as he said, look, nobody wanted to hear it. Just like when intelligence assets were trying to tell, you know, the Bush administration, look, um, there, there's no reason to attack. You got other priorities here. If you want to go after real places that harbor terrorists, uh, we can give you a list. No problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they wanted Iraq. So we've heard over and over again different stories about, no, bring me back a plan about Iraq. Bring me back, you know, how do we take Baghdad? Even though they were trying to tell them, look, if you want a more efficient target to uh, disrupt <clears throat> terrorist trade, there's other places to go. You know, and, and they... What are you going to do? That's that's the momentum of the system at the time. But is there any more to this story besides your dad got told, you know, well, nobody wants to hear it, Mr. Swanson, Colonel Swanson. <laughs> nobody wants to hear it, right? I mean, was there is there more to the story? No. Well, I mean, that's – I mean, he could conclude from this that – this is an example of how, how the Pentagon works, you know, the military – military intelligence complex you know, there's a lot of money to be made in making the weapons and, and people wanting to have them so you got to believe that it's a serious threat from the other side you know in the intelligence is the, 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 there's a book that came out in 19 i'm looking it up 85 to get the date right by andrew cockburn Okay. Right, right, Cockburn. Mm-hmm. It is called The Threat Inside the Soviet Military Machine. came out in 1985, and much of it's about Afghanistan because they're fighting in Afghanistan. And the book claims that the Soviet army is just falling apart, that the men, that it's breaking, basically, that the men, after years of this Afghanistan war, can barely fight. Mm-hmm. They don't even have enough. Um, uh, even their uniforms aren't um, are not fully supplied in, in Afghanistan, and this is came out, you know, during I wouldn't say the height of the Cold War, but close to it, mm-hmm. and about the same time my dad was having that that uh, visit the CIA headquarters. So, and he one of the things he told me is he read this book after that meeting. It thought it was more real than what the intelligence mm-hmm. conclusions were, you know, the official intelligence conclusions were. Yeah, no, and look, I've got my issues with Cockburn and the stuff he's written, but uh, frankly, some of it is uh, more accurate than at least what was, what's was what been shared publicly. Um, you know, you and I are not necessarily privy to, you know, the president's daily briefings exactly no. and... Uh, you know, where that intelligence uh, originates from in a lot of cases. I mean, these are things that we're not always privy to. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a great many possibilities here, but Cockburn has, well, an interesting point of view on this. Um, and look, there, there, there's a lot of arguments that could be had there, but we're not going to get to them today. Well, um, I would just say, you know, the part of the story of of, uh, of Afghanistan is a story of fan people in in the Pentagon believing fantasies and spreading them. Yeah, you know about how we can be successful there. I mean, obviously, 
Yeah, but isn't that just that's, exactly... That's a story that needs to be told, and, yeah. and we're getting caught up in, you know, the 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 the, the last strikeout of a, of a baseball game, basically. Yeah, right. But here's the thing. <laughs> um, you're, you're in the midst of writing about Vietnam right now, uh, and, and one could argue that there are many lessons about the fantasy versus the reality in Vietnam. Oh, uh, sure. And, uh, and, and I certainly am all for you examining those in your books, for sure, uh, especially with, you know, a bit of a fresh take on the situation. Absolutely. Um, but let's rewind a little. If you go to Korea and you take mm. a look at Korea, then Vietnam, then the different engagements in the Middle East, which everybody forgets about, you know, and then you take a look at... Uh, the uh, the the dynamic and bizarre world of what went on with the CIA in Central and South America, you know, you go to Desert Storm, you go on to Afghanistan and Iraq. One could argue the consistent theme here is fantasy versus reality, and there is a fantasy they sell to the public, which you know the public is not in the know and they don't need to know, do they? And then there's the fantasy within, because there are individuals that sincerely believe that it's necessary to do some of the things that, that get done that end up being very fruitless. And quite frankly, I, I am coming yeah, down. Yeah, they're two different stories, I yeah, guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I'm coming yeah. down on, on the side of looking at what's going on in Afghanistan, and people are like, look at how Biden failed. And yeah. of course, they're more right-wing oriented. Uh, And I say, yeah, yeah, there's a failure uh, element here. But frankly, the the idea that the Taliban is now well-armed and the way this has gone, I'm sorry, this looks intentional. And I don't know what the strategic thought process is because I'm not on the inside here. But somebody might think a a well-armed Taliban serves a purpose one way or another, whether it's to uh, justify, you know, a a re-entry into Afghanistan or... It's to hold another alleged enemy at bay. Uh, you know, like the point they're trying to make. Here's ISIS-K, you know, the Khorasan element of ISIS, right? I thought ISIS was defeated. Oops. Anyway, ISIS-K is, you know, at odds with the Taliban, right? Somebody could be thinking it's best to leave all these things behind because, after all, they'll have to be replaced. The military-industrial complex has to eat, too, so business is business. But on top of it, Maybe it's a strategic decision to allow the alleged enemy to be armed. And, gee, that would be a a whole brand new idea, he says quite (laughs) sarcastically, huh? Um, Arming the enemy of your enemy, possibly. I don't know. It's very weird. It's wide open. And quite frankly, again, we have the U.S. military extracting itself from a situation that, in some people's estimation, we might really never should have been involved in in the first place but time will tell and new information will emerge and as we speak mike i think they're they're, that we're supposed to be out of there finally completely but um are we is it real is it the thing that happened here i don't know anyway i don't think we're going to solve that and we only got about you know 30 seconds left so i want to give you the final thought on this hour but Interesting stuff. We got to learn Mike's uh, brushes with the CIA, how they might have been. Maybe a little bit about his dad, too, which informed some of his uh, uh, points of view earlier on, for sure. 
but um you know here here we have it mike what what do you think your your final thoughts for this uh particular tuesday well i mean uh, i don't i don't know well, one thing about them leaving behind equipment mm-hmm. i i don't know if that's done on purpose but one thing about it uh is if you take like something like the 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 the, the, the tanks mm-hmm. and the black cap the black, especially the airplanes the, or the helicopters, these Black Hawk helicopters, and they've mm-hmm. been showing a couple people showing pictures of, uh, of the <laughs> joyriding these helicopters. Well, one of the things about this military hardware, it's not like your car. Uh, this military hardware falls apart constantly, needs to be repaired, and they're not these Taliban characters. They're not going to have the capability to service. Oh, no, they're not going to be able to weapons. handle the maintenance plan, number so one. So they're going to rely on us for that if, <laughs> if, if we're going to give it to them. <coughs> okay. There, there's... It just becomes like garbage, wasting oh, I know. assets. Well, garbage he... and wasting assets is what the military-industrial complex is all about. Exactly, and this is the one-dimensional thinking a lot of people have about this, where it's like, look, first of all, it could be a business opportunity because somebody can go in there as an independent Blackhawk maintenance company, and hey, guys, want to <laughs> keep your helicopters running? Oops. I, I bet wonder... Eric Prince would do it. He doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, the military contractor guys are going to make a fortune for sure, and the other thing is this. You know, they can, in a lot of cases, modern just your car you drive. Uh, there's ways fact, to remote. Barrick Prince's plan, he wanted to do a Trump, privatize the war. Maybe he's got a chance to do it. There you have it. And, and the other thing is you can disable machinery that has computer elements integrated into it. And, <clears throat> you know, so there, there's lots of different ways to look at this, but... Again, Mike Swanson, WallStreetWindow.com. Go there. You can be better informed at WallStreetWindow.com than you can at a whole lot of websites that uh, are allegedly news-based, my friends. I assure you. But uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Mike, thanks for doing this with me. Anyway, in the next hour, Pierce Redmond, PorkinsPolicyReview.com. He'll be with us. And... uh, Stick around. I don't know where that's going to go. The Ocelli effect continues after this. WallStreetWindow.com Gold. Silver. The stock market. WallStreetWindow.com Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started. WallStreetWindow.com Michael Swanson, the brilliant author of The War State, understood these trends professionally for many years, and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge. WallStreetWindow.com Go there now. Go there now. Go there now. Revelation through conversation. Do you like history? Real history that you were never taught in schools? Why? The Vietnam War. Nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia. By author Mike Swanson. With new documentation never seen before. That'll open your eyes to events that led up to this. Why? The Vietnam War. Nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia. 1940. 
45 through 1961. Get your copy today at Amazon.com. Why? The Vietnam War by author Mike Swanson. In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks by Larry Hancock. Secret wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. Larry Hancock's book, In Denial, rips the cover off many of them. Using new files, it exposes things about the Bay of Pigs that no one has ever written about before. It shows why it really failed and why the United States did not learn from it. Secret wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. It also shows why other countries today are doing secret operations with more success. This is the book that puts what some want to deny into the light. In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks. Larry Hancock. For more information, go to Larry-Hancock.com. Pick up your copy of In Denial at Amazon.com in digital or physical form. What would I do? Revelation through conversation. In a radio show slash podcast. You want the good news? Listen to the Ocelli Effect. Chuck Ocelli is the most underrated voice in all media. News, education, and entertainment. The Daily Bread from Ocelli.com. Go there. Save yourself from ignorance. Ocelli.com. But we all agreed to put Ocelli.com on and listen to The Ocelli Effect. Revelation through conversation. Ocelli.com. Go ahead, caller. Hey, I'm interested in the truth about the JFA assassination. Right. Well, what do you want to know? Judy Baker's wild claim, Oswald girlfriend. He knew Ruby and Barry, cancer weapons. Really? I imagine I could claim I have four wheels. It doesn't make me a wagon, but okay. Oswald was on the kill team and trying to prevent the murder of John Kennedy. Come on now. Has a real effort on the JFA assassination built into her claim? Go to Amazon.com. Enter Judith Baker in her own words. You'll get results for a digital copy of a book where Walt Brown utilizes her own words and the known evidence in the case to get at, well, <laughs> a different perspective, let's say. You can get Judith Barry Baker in her own words from the author himself, signed if you request it, by contacting Dr. Brown at K-I-A-S-J-F-K at AOL.com. It's a fun book and it actually dissects the many, many fantastic claims. Judith Barry Baker in her own words. Thank you for all the great information. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and you're tuned into the Ocelli Effect. Second hour of the Ocelli Effect continues now at Ocelli.com, but of course, you could be somewhere else, sometime else, and all that good stuff. Anyway, it is Tears Day Tuesday, the second broadcast day of the week as I speak, and uh, waiting to see how bad the thunderstorms might come in here in this hour. But uh, so so if for some reason the show is interrupted, that's why. It's not because I don't want to talk to the guy who's here, Pierce Redman, PorkinsPolicyReview.com. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on over there. I, I have actually not been to the website um, in a little bit, but I did notice you were, you were posting some stuff I saw on social media. Uh, you said, oh, I put out the post again late, uh, stuff like this, but 
yeah, <laughs> like a, I think exactly a week late. So <laughs> it was like a week later. So you yeah. know, may, maybe you guys will be hearing this on PorkinsPolicyReview.com uh, about a week after it happened. But anyway, <laughs> it is what I'll it try, is. I'll try to be better this week. <laughs> it's okay, man. I'm just I'm breaking your chops. And uh, for for listeners of the show, if you would like a sticker, because I had requests a while ago, if you'd like uh, one of these square stickers. Um, of the little uh, 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 cartoon character that's wearing a Nocelli effect shirt. <laughs> I have them now. Um, and I will send you one if you send me an email, info at Ocelli.com, and give me an address. I got a book of stamps. Uh, I'm sure it'll only be a couple of you that request them. But uh, if you want them, I'll send you a couple of them in an envelope. And, uh, of course, if you're somebody who's been a supporter or whatever, I urge you to do so if you would like one. Uh, and, and that's just the way it'll go. And yes, I'll send them international. It doesn't matter. I, I think I've got enough stamps to probably accommodate everybody. And if not, I'll get some more. Um, anyways, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, and I do appreciate everybody who has, uh, made it possible for us to continue going on. So that's another thing. If you, uh, definitely want, you know, a little note that says, thanks, uh, that's an easy way to get one. And, uh, uh, along with a little sticker and who knows what else I'll put in there. Oh, I'll tell you something, Pierce. I actually, <laughs> this, this is uh, something people don't know. I, I, Pierce likes the, the, the Ocelli effect pens. <laughs> oh yeah, quite a bit. So, um, I, I told you I was almost out of them not too long ago. Uh, I actually have more of them now. So, uh, if oh, somebody great. really wants a pen, that's another thing, but <laughs> It'll cost me a couple of stamps to probably send you a pen. But again, info at Ocelli.com. Go ahead and send me an email there and tell me you want one and give me an address. And uh, I- I'll-, I'll get it out to you. Anyways, <laughs> so there it is. So that means you-, you got some pens coming soon, Pierce. I mean, I'll get to it when I get to the post office, which might be next week or whatever. But either way. Well, I think uh, I think my last shipment of pens should hopefully hold me out for, uh, you know, until you can send the next batch. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> either way, uh, we'll get to it. So, uh, uh, enough of all that. What What is on your mind, my friend? Because, man, there's been a lot of weird things that have gone on recently. And, of course, uh, gee, as of today, right, we're supposed to be officially out of Afghanistan. Uh, <laughs> was, was this the, uh, the, the, the date in question? Yeah, it was the, th- well, the 31st was the deadline that... Oh, uh, okay. See... Earlier on, they set September 11th as the deadline. Right, that's that was the date I kind of had uh, that had sort of fixed in my mind. But right. uh... well, then publicly there was supposed to be this. Okay, Biden administration moved it to August 31st, and then for the past I don't know 10 days or whatever, there there's been this you know hand wringing of is the American uh, you know uh, uh, evacuation going to be complete by August 31st? The Taliban says no way you're going to extend this and. Biden is giving in to them, and uh, yay, 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 yay. Um, so last night I saw that there were people coming out going, well, we're done. The last plane has left Afghanistan. They're, the Taliban is firing uh, you know, guns into the air to celebrate. And, uh, yeah, we left behind a couple hundred people. But, you know, for the most part, we got everybody out, tens of thousands of individuals that were supposedly there fighting uh, you know, on the same side and all that. Um, but supposedly hundreds of people left behind and lots of equipment and so on and so forth. So I don't know, man. I, I almost don't oh, even did, feel Chuck, like talking you, to you. About this. I, I read about 
this uh the, the you was reading about the evacuation stuff earlier this morning and this like hundred american or u.s citizens that are left there do you have any who are these people are, and are, like are we getting them out or is that just sort of like well you know i guess you missed uh the, i mean it, it sounds flippant but the sort of you know the last chopper out of afghanistan mm-hmm. um well it's do, not... do you know who these hundred people are well no because see there's a hundred americans and then there's okay. another hundred and something uh, Afghans that were, you know, helping in the effort, supposedly. But, you know, how are we going to verify these numbers? I don't know who these people are. I mean, I imagine some of them were contractors of some type, uh, you know. Right. And it's 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 such a convoluted mess. I, I, I don't understand the whole thing except that. You know, Blinken came out and gave the whole, well, we're done. Everything's pretty good, actually, <laughs> statement, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, eh, yeah, this guy. All right. Anyway, uh, and those that are, you know, wanting uh, Biden to resign and everything else, I mean, good luck on that. They only lost a, a handful of troops. And, I mean, I don't mean to be flipping about that, but, I mean, in reality, uh, not a high price there, but there are people that are screaming how bad it is that they left things behind and did it wrong. And all right, but you know, here here we are. I I don't know what to make of it. Still, I'm waiting for the real after action reports on this, um, to see what the reality I, is. And I also I'm going to throw this at you real fast, and then hopefully we'll move hmm. on from Afghanistan. Um. I I feel as though there is so much equipment being, you know, inventoried that was apparently left there. Uh, It seems like that was done on purpose in my mind. You know, like there was an intent to leave behind stuff there for some particular reason. And I don't know if it's to justify a reentry into Afghanistan or to arm them because allegedly they're at odds with ISIS-K, you know, which is... um, a relatively new concept that is being discussed in the media. They weren't talking about this until the evacuation. Uh, ISIS Khorasan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and again, I question the whole narrative. Plus, I could have swore when Trump was president, they said ISIS was defeated. So what what is this? Uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, I, I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say, and, and I, I do, uh, uh, I, I feel your frustration with, the uh, I mean it's it's really been like nonstop. I mean if you like anytime I like you know open up any of like the news apps like Wall Street Journal or something like that that I mm-hmm. use from time to time. I mean it's only Afghanistan. That is like the only story. You know every day it's just sort of more. I mean it's in a way it's sort of like a welcome you know respite from you know the Delta variant and or or you know uh, Trump coming back or whatever you know all the other sort of stuff that we've been mm-hmm. dealing with from time to time it is sort of like a, a welcome respite from that but it is interesting how it's just sort of this uh you know this conflict that for you know the past several decades really was just kind of like a blip on the radar for most people is now suddenly it's you know everyone's an expert uh everyone has a really uh complex opinion everybody knows what should have happened what should you know what what's going to happen so on and so forth um uh you know so so i I don't know that in and of itself is particularly uh fascinating uh to me but furthermore the the thing that is just so uh odd or is very striking to me in regards to this is that 
it seems like this weird like I was I was reading the news this morning and it actually felt like I had been um you know like I woke up in another uh you know in the past like I'd woken up in another time like where there was a uh, uh, you know, a CIA drone strike that was supposed to take out some ISIS leaders. It ended up killing like 10 just, you know, innocent civilians who were all related to some poor uh, interpreter who, you know, uh, worked with the Americans. And so he, his whole family gets wiped out in a drone strike. I'm, you know, and of course, there, where there's going to be this really, you know, in depth investigation as to how, how this atrocity you know this horrible mistake could have happened but it, it did feel very much like oh so we're, we're just sort of like back to you know i don't know the early 2000s with drone strikes uh, killing people at weddings um yeah you know th- this threat of uh, some sort of islamic terrorism which again trump had defeated isis and al-qaeda now it seems to be coming back and uh it does seem like you, you know i just glancing uh before we went live on the air just on, on like intel news i mean they're they're you know talking about the same stuff that this basically that the cia's counterterrorism mission is going to be revived Ugh. uh that it's just sort of back to uh basics when it comes to uh the the, the kind of like counterterrorism or the war on counter uh, uh counter or the war on terrorism excuse me uh counterterrorism pro you know uh projects are probably going to be revived all again you know in time for the big 9-11 anniversary which Mm -hmm. is happening uh just a you know a little over a week from now so that is just fascinating to me that just sort of like we're just going back in time uh to you know the early days of the war on terror well see Uh, and it's disturbing but um and appropriately yeah no and appropriately i i go to look at you know the long war journal right and, uh, and take a look at what they're saying about it. And uh, I, I even uh, have, have you listened to the recent podcasts from there? <laughs> uh, no, I started to listen to um, the I don't know if it was the one uh, their most recent one, but I believe it was the one before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, like I, I feel like we or I, I definitely constantly promote this horrible organization. But, uh, you know, <laughs> shout outs to shout Tom out Jocelyn to and Bill Raggio. Because they do actually right. do, I mean, they do produce like a, a, a like a good podcast, especially if you want to know um, about the minutia. I, I remember like last time I was on the show, I was getting made mm-hmm. fun of for like rattling off like Taliban leaders, like baseball cards. But if you think I'm bad, you should listen to oh, yeah. their <laughs> podcast, Generation Jihad. I mean, they, they're way more... <laughs> Uh, you know, into the the baseball card, uh, you know, aspect of the uh, the you, war on terror. You stole my joke because I, <laughs> I was going to say you yeah, really. I mean, they they say something. I'm like, who the hell are you talking about? You know? Yeah, no, you, you it's like you know, if Pierce has a baseball card collection, these guys are card shop dealers. Uh, you know? Yeah, like they own the factory where they're making <laughs> right. the cards. <laughs> It's like I mean they they got people on there that I got to go look up and I'm like what what are you talking, yeah yeah and they're they oh boy, but look it's appropriate it's called the Long War Journal because here we are the the unending war uh and it does seem as though uh, we've been invited to do the time warp again and it's not even Rocky Horror time, but uh, you know let let's go back again to this idea. 
do you think let me let me just ask you the blunt question which means i'm going to skip a whole bunch of analysis on you and ask you bluntly do, do you think we're just looking at the repackaging of the war on terror and let's bring it out new and improved as if it was uh you know uh laundry soap i mean is is this where we're going or what i think unfortunately this it does seem to be moving in that direction this is sort of like whatever like coke zero not coke zero you know like the, i forget what the the rebranded coke was that well there was did, new... that was sort of like a disaster but yeah it does seem <laughs> new coke like versus is, classic yeah new coke or classic yeah whatever you know it, <laughs> it does seem that way yeah. um i wouldn't be surprised if we start to see a uh just like a bad penny, a lot of uh, older neoconservative counterterrorism experts sort of popping back up. It, I mean, obviously, it does seem as if uh, ISIS has been taken out of wherever deep freeze, you know, the CIA and, and uh, NATO and others have been keeping them. And they do seem to just sort of I mean, that should be troubling the speed with which ISIS K just is just sort of there front and center now again if you like you like went and listened to the long war journal and or listened to generation jihad they've been talking oh isis isn't gone they're coming back and i mean they're still talking about like al-qaeda as like a massive threat well see that was my Um, next point because they reintroduced uh something that you know we've heard about isis over the years like i like we both pointed out i mean trump said that isis was defeated uh you know isil at one point right was defeated uh, during Obama's time, you know, allegedly because they took care of what was it, uh, the other ISIS? What was it, uh, ISIS on the uh, Arabian Peninsula or whatever? AP, right? AQIP. A- yeah, that's it. Okay, so you know there was that. Uh, I saw a statement from uh, Al-Awlaki's, uh, you know, uh, a father saying, "Gee, I wonder why my grandson was killed." Still, <laughs> um, you know, and and stuff like that has gone through, but. Yeah, I saw the reintroduction of like, hey, Al-Qaeda didn't go away. Wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) I thought we had gotten rid of that. Um, You know, to the the neocons that require a boogeyman, um, none of this stuff ever went away. You know, it took them 20 years to let go of uh, Ahmad Mugnia, right? You know, <laughs> the the legendary, he probably changed his face, had plastic surgery, you know, Carlos the Jackal, but another one, uh, kind of, you know, a, a, a figure. And the, the, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which was supposed to be the world's premier terrorist organization. It took them 20 years to let go of that. And... Uh, here we are again where I, I, I don't think they'll ever let the legend of uh, Candyman stop being there. You know, if you say it five mm. times, it's back. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I know I, I sound very flippant and crazy here, but it's weird to see, oh, well, by the way, Al-Qaeda is still a player and ISIS-K now and, you know, and, and look at these other organizations and remember the Taliban, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Wow. We're back to, you know, 15 years ago at least. And also the optics of it being that uh, Biden was part of the administration that killed bin Laden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or allegedly killed. I mean... Yeah, okay, fair enough. Not getting into that, but they certainly (laughs) killed somebody. I mean, in in that raid. I don't know if it was uh, Osama bin Laden necessarily, but yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, it is, it's that's the other thing that is hitting me. And I think that's just also like 
I'm sure that's saying a lot of other people are just like age and time and getting older. But I mean, to see Biden, you know, do you look at those pictures uh, from the the raid uh, on uh, in in Abbottabad, which of course was, I, I think that's you know widely accepted that it was um, staged that photo where Hillary Clinton has her her hand over her mouth and Obama's looking very you know transfixed and Biden and you know they're and they're they're all you know and Biden's looking tough and that was back when Biden was the real you know kind of he was like Obama's uh, like enforcer mm-hmm. uh, you know so to speak and now you look I mean he looks like this doddering old fart who you know I mean it looks like I mean he does look like he's like half asleep most of the time um, and uh, and and now it's it's just the whole thing is kind of like uh, crumbling uh, around him and mm-hmm. uh, you know I mean again I just just went, I just went on the Long War Journal as we were speaking <laughs> and just saw you know that one of their headlines is yes. uh, Osama bin Laden's security chief triumphantly returns to hometown in Afghanistan. Sure, why not? Um, so this is Dr. Amin Al Hook, who um, was I guess in charge of his security at Tora Bora. Um, you know, he's returned. So, I mean, yeah, they're definitely not that person is necessarily like somebody that like you or I, or, you know, most people would really know about, but more just the optics that these people are all kind of returning. I do think, and I know that we, so we weren't going to talk about it, but here we are droning on about it. But the thing that is, um, I do find interesting and I'd like to see how it kind of unfolds is how will the Taliban kind of deal with this because the Taliban despises ISIS and you know if if you needed like more evidence that ISIS is just so fake and orchestrated and and just this completely phony entity ISIS believes that you know the Taliban isn't hardcore enough with with their (laughs) interpretation of Islam and and other stuff like that I mean so you know that should sort of to me that always just struck me as i mean this is so obviously this created boogeyman that like even i you know and isis and and the taliban have been for years i mean easily um since isis is was formed and became this sort of like global presence um fighting against uh basically everybody they've been fighting the taliban so it'll be interesting to see um how that transpires. I don't I don't think that there's going to be some sort of like agreement between them or something. And I think that in a lot of ways the Taliban probably learned their lesson by giving, you know, aid and sucker to Al Qaeda. They saw how that worked out for them. Um and and just two other quick points on that is one is if the Taliban does say we are going to fight ISIS, I'd be interested to see will that free up Money because there there are obviously they're sort of like broke at the or they they don't have access to um, these vast sums of money that are are being held at like the World Bank and the IMF, right. which are are again that would we could go on about that for another podcast. I mean that money the the way that the IMF and the World Bank gives out money is basically to just make uh, other countries you know debt slaves essentially. So it's not that that money is necessarily good, but Right. The Taliban does need access to cash and stuff like that. I mean, they, you know, to pay people and to get things running. And I would be interested. I mean, at the moment, that's all kind of frozen, which people have been sort of talking about this. Does that just open up an avenue where the Taliban really ups the heroin trade? 
um, because that you know how else are they going to to make money? That's a really easy way for them to raise a, a yeah. an insane amount of cash. See, I still contend though that that market is not as fruitful as it would have been, because there there are many more spots on the planet now where the opiates can be harvested, as opposed to twenty years ago, when this started. Um, <laughs> You know, they, they, they've, they've gone agricultural out there. So whether it's big pharma or just straight up, you know, the dope traffickers, they, they have other options. So <laughs> Afghanistan would be in competition with way too many other entities um, in my mind. And you know what? There's another reason why we should be calling BS on this whole narrative. And that is, you see anybody talking about Pakistan? Mm. At all. Yeah, I know. It's still very... <laughs> nobody... Very hush-hush. Yeah, nobody wants to talk about... Okay, here's... Best I can discern, and I'm not saying I'm entirely accurate on this, because I don't think anybody's got a full-spectrum view, all right? But here's what you can discern, even from the surface level, without going conspiratorial, without going too deep into any rabbit hole, just observable. It appears as though Pakistan was simultaneously being a partner in the war on terror with the U.S. and uh, harboring the Taliban. Um, <laughs> you know, so where is their role? They obviously are playing one, and nobody's talking about it. There's no way they're not involved in what's going on here. In my mind. Now, may maybe I'm crazy. But also, you know, it it's like talking about the extremism of ISIS versus all these other, you know, organizations, da 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 And nobody talks about the Wahhabist base in Saudi Arabia. Now, we know why that is. But, I mean, is, is Pakistan still so useful to the U.S. that nobody would dare utter any of the, uh, you know, real greasy stuff that's coming through and being done? And, oh, by the way, that would be a wonderful cutout for somebody to be able to send aid through without having their fingerprints all over it is to just channel it through Pakistan. And then you could literally supply, resupply, and help out these people kind of off the books without the IMF directly involved if you wanted to shuttle, well, anything into Afghanistan to uh, to take control of, yeah, it's still a fertile poppy field. But um, as I've said, you know, when they're developing stuff in Tasmania and uh, and everywhere else, uh, there's clearly, you know, many other sources for the dope stream. So may not be quite as profitable as it once was, but I guess we'll have to stay tuned and see. But Pakistan, seriously, why yeah. is that not part of what's being discussed here? Because I, I, I find it completely illogical to assume that they're keeping their hands or anything else out of this. What do you think? Oh no, I mean they're not. I mean the, I mean where do you think Osama bin Laden's former security chief came? From? I mean he entered Afghanistan from Pakistan, um, and you know I mean clearly, uh, I, and I mentioned this the last time we were on, and I still don't believe that you know the the actual head of the Taliban Akhunzada has emerged, but. Uh, you know, it's widely believed he's in Pakistan. Where he is, God only knows. But yeah, mm -hmm. certainly, I think um, I do wonder to you know uh, to to 
put on like a tinfoil hat and start theorizing. I do wonder if Pakistan's relative silence is not a, you know, because there is some serious back channel dealing going on um, where Pakistan is, uh, I mean, is, is the regional power in mm. that area um, and is, is a, and is it, you know, a, a, you could argue is, is, you know, not a world power, but it's, it certainly has a power base there. You know, it is important. There are a lot mm. of economic reasons, um, you know, China and Pakistan, again, are extremely close. Uh, China has a vested interest in what's going to unfold in Afghanistan. So I do wonder if Pakistan's quietness is just because they're kind of wheeling and dealing and, and you know, working on stuff behind the scenes. But, I mean, clearly Pakistan is obviously excited because, you know, all of the inroads that their, uh, you know, arch enemy, India, uh, made in Afghanistan have completely been just eradicated. Um mm-hmm. I think India was one of the, uh, you know, countries uh, very early on when the Taliban was when it was clear that the Taliban were taking over. Uh, India was, you know, very quick to get their uh, citizens out of there. I think they've shut the their the last uh, consulate weeks ago, mm-hmm. so you know, India was is no longer going to have a diplomatic presence in Afghanistan. And I don't know quite, you know, I think that the Indian presence in Afghanistan of course, is always used by Pakistan as a, re, you know, as like a justification for, uh, you know, them funding certain groups or, or being involved. And um, but I don't you know, there have been there have been lots of stories about Indian intelligence mm-hmm. and the inroads that Indian intelligence was making within um, the former uh, Afghan government that was back, backed by the West. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's another reason um, oh, it's going to be that, a lot uh, of people that bet on the wrong horse. I mean, bottom line. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, I've actually got some live reaction here I want to address because I think it's fair for them to react this way. Um, in the chat room and then one in the chat room and one on Skype, both of them basically saying the same thing. So let me put the question together uh, for you. And, and uh, I, I think I know the answer, but I want you to answer it uh, regarding this idea that the Taliban in fact stopped the opium distribution uh, you know coming out of Afghanistan uh, okay on the one hand this was kind of true but you know there, there may be some nuances here that are not part of the mainstream narrative and quite frankly uh, were, were never addressed by the alt media or independent media accurately in my mind regarding the nuances that went on here with yeah the dope stream pre-afghan war and the dope stream post-afghan war now i point out all the time that that you know that 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 fabled organization the northern alliance if you remember um i mean that was just all dope money that that, that's all that was (laughs) that was dope money and a a coalition of people with dope money period um is that all the Taliban was about? No, because if it was, then Afghanistan would have become a much richer country. Uh, however, uh, maybe you'd like to address this idea that most people seem to have, and uh, I believe it is a misconception, but by all means, I, I want Pierce Redmond's take on this. The Taliban was against uh, the opium distribution, and now that they're coming back in, hey, 
they're probably going to quash it, not capitalize on it. Although you just commented that uh, there there may indeed be uh, some money that'll be able to come in via that particular dope stream. But, um, you know, can you explain this to the listeners who are going, wait a minute, I thought the Taliban was anti-opium. Yeah, I think that they certainly have been. Um, I think they tend to be anti-opium when they're uh, in power. But when they're not in power, I don't think they have any problem uh, facilitating at least the trade of opium, if not outright, you know, um, you know, getting seeds and, and, and other, you know, and, and offering protection and uh, whatnot. So I, I think that that's, I, I know I, I keep seeing this and, it, you know, I saw that too in the chat, people saying the same thing and mainstream media saying that. I just sort of like, who, I, I mean, yes, the production dropped significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a ban uh, before the U.S.-led invasion um, that uh, deposed the Taliban, and um, there was a huge drop in opium production. But there's it that doesn't just because they ban it the same way that like drugs are banned here. That doesn't mean that people aren't you know methamphetamine is banned in, in America, mm-hmm. but newsflash, it's made all across the U.S. Mm-hmm. So you know that's the first thing is that. Just because the Taliban bans it doesn't mean that you've got thousands of people that are solely dependent on the sale of opium and heroin right. in Afghanistan. They're not going to suddenly, oh, the Taliban doesn't want me to grow this. Oh, I'll go back to, you know, growing wheat or something like that, where they're making a fraction, you know, maybe the tenth of the, the you know, the amount of money um, to support themselves and their families. So. I don't really think that that is going to, um, you know, disappear. And I don't believe that there's a huge amount of evidence that, um, you know, that opium, when the Taliban was not in power, it's not as if the Taliban strongholds, the provinces that were traditionally Taliban strongholds, it's not like they stopped growing opium. You know, they they were still growing it. What I'm saying is that... um, I just I don't really believe the Taliban fully. I think that that's a great um, message to put out there. And the Taliban are smart about messaging and they understand public relations better than most other, um, you know, armed, uh, you know, political movements Mm -hmm. around the world. I think they really do understand PR and they totally understand the PR of saying we're going to ban opium that plays tremendously well in a place like America where there is this huge uh, crisis going on particularly with prescription pills but just with with heroin as well in general I think that plays really well and you know to be a little I don't know cynical and and stuff I think that also plays you know I don't think they're doing this on purpose but maybe they are I think it plays really well to the alternative media that Mm -hmm. also for whatever reason likes to somehow think that oh you know it would be better you know that the Taliban were you know, they, they there was no opium. Uh, so as if that that like, again, the and I think, you know, you, you've talked about this many times, Chuck. The people that wanted heroin, it wasn't like when Afghanistan banned it, there was like a heroin shortage. 
No. There's a million Never. other places that can grow exactly. opium. I mean, I mean, I mean, the biggest, a big one being Mexico, right across the border. Mexico There's massive, um, you know, hectares of, of, you know, opium has been grown in Mexico for, I mean, decades, maybe even longer. And um, Turkey it, it, has poppy fields, my friend. Oh yeah, Turkey, Mexico, <laughs> Colombia. Is, yeah. I mean, that, that's another thing too. Is it, and I, again. I say this, and I'm not like trying to like attack anybody, but my understanding is the majority of heroin that enters the United States comes from Mexico and Colombia mm-hmm. because it's just so much easier. They can grow it. It doesn't have to travel. Like, you know, think about just the distances that drugs need to travel. There's a huge demand for heroin in America. So it's just easier if you're a drug trafficker to uh, negotiate with big time dealers in America to buy your product when it's it's you you don't have to worry about like we don't have to fly it you know thousands of miles from Listen, you know the it, mountains in Afghanistan. It cuts down on shipping costs, and in between, I mean, there is what Europe where you can drop it off. You know, well, exactly. Much, I mean, and that's. Yeah. I think that's really, you know, that's, I mean, that's the majority of that. Um, I mean, a vast majority of this heroin in Afghanistan is, I mean, a lot of it is consumed in Afghanistan. I mean, that's its own, you know, they're already dealing with that. But, I mean, a large amount of this also makes its way to Russia, which is very close. Um, a lot of it is spread throughout Central Asia, uh, Pakistan, Iran. Uh, and obviously, the you know, probably the number one market being... Western Europe, um, mm-hmm. but that's a much shorter distance. But you know, all I'm saying is, that I I think we're taking the Taliban at its word. You know, why why are we trusting it? I guess is really what I'm trying to say. Well, see, um, and and just to to give you a little opposition to that is simultaneously, I think it is it is uh, uh, purely silly to assume one that they're lying all the time, but two to assume that they're not lying. Any of the time, you know, th- th- this almost purity with them regarding, you know, like like you said, the indie media has basically turned around and kind of been like, well, because we oppose the American imperialism, you know, the Taliban, at least they mm. weren't dope pushers, you know, and it's like, eh, OK, is <sighs> that true all the way through or is that just, you know, as per usual, the messaging that you get from a government who doesn't admit that maybe in some cases they turn their heads a bit to what they would consider organized crime because wouldn't that be a shock that a government doesn't bother with all of their criminal elements because maybe they need them a little bit i mean let's remember again that afghanistan the reason why nation building failed in afghanistan is because it's very much a split-up area that is controlled by what? Local warlords who have their own agendas. This is not, you know, nation-building didn't work because they didn't want a whole solid nation, really. That's not the way this functions. If it did, then it wouldn't be the way it has been. The coalition government could have taken hold. There was no way that was going to happen because... There is not this desire to become one people. You know, people think of, well, they're Afghanis, they're all the same. No, they're not. Right. 
they have different ethnic and religious identities. And quite frankly, you know, why did the Taliban take hold in the first place is because it was remotely close to what a lot of people wanted. You know, it's it's another thing that's always forgotten in, well, Iran, the people of Iran don't want this. That's not necessarily true. <laughs> right. They are, you know, just because you and me say, well, I wouldn't want a government that has to report to an, an Islamic council to approve everything they got to do. Yeah, you and I wouldn't want that. But how many people in America would be okay with, yeah, we have a constitution, but every move by our government needs to be approved by the Christians? Mm. Um, there'd be a lot of people in this country that would be happy with that. Oh, yeah, completely. You know, so and, and that is the case. Uh, Iran has a constitution, but if you read it carefully, everything is contingent upon an approval by an Islamic council. Which is why you have this odd situation where you have, you know, the Ayatollah whoever, and here's our president. And you figure out which one actually holds most of the power. So there is a reason for that arrangement. And in a lot of cases, despite the fact that you and I might not philosophically be in line with it, it doesn't mean that the people there are not. Mm. You know, oh, it's horrifying what they do to women. But in their culture, if it's fine by them then it is you know it, it, it's it's using your own metric scale to try and weigh the morality of people that are culturally different it fails every time so you know the, and, and i'm not saying that 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 i'm 100 percent correct about this i'm just saying that needs to be considered in this equation so when people are talking about the taliban and what their point of view was regarding opiates you know, it's very much like, this is going to sound totally racist, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you know, the, the the black Muslim prison guys that I've met over the years, you know, some of them would, you know, uh, beat the hell out of their own brother for partaking of a drug. But if it was somebody in their family who's selling it, you know, to white people, it's okay. Mm. Um, and, you know. I, I, I've, I've encountered that more than once where it's like, wait, you're anti-drug, aren't you? Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, in other well, words... I mean, I don't think the Taliban has any problem selling opium to Westerners, <laughs> you know? No, but I that's, mean, that's... Yeah, that's my uh, point, though. I know that... Did that sound racist, Pierce? <laughs> no, no, I, I do know what you mean, though. I, I think... Uh, I mean, there's even, like, storyline, like, plot lines like that in Oz and stuff, you know? I mean, if... Well, I mean, um, I'm not talking TV, though. I'm talking literally. I knew yeah. guys like this who would, you no, know... No, no, for sure. But I think that that's also just... I mean... um, I think that's just, like, a fact, you know? I mean, and, and, and I think that that's... Tr you know, anybody that's sort of involved in, like, an illicit trade... Um, they may not want their children doing it, but they don't really care if they sell to someone else's children. Right. You know, use someone else's children. Um, you know, I don't think that, that there's really any problem with that. And just because I know we've, I feel like the last couple of weeks we've really like harped on about the international drug trade um, uh, in Afghanistan. But it's been on my mind, the, sorry. Yeah, no, no, I, it's been on my mind too, just because I, I, again, I just, I don't, I don't know what, like, what this, like, this put... It's also, like, just because they've done it once doesn't mean they're going to do it again. The Taliban is also saying that they're, you know, going to respect women. I mean, 
are they? I mean, I guess it's just sort of like, yeah. what is their actual track record on that? See, define um, that term, because again, I've met people exactly. from all across the world who would tell me right. that, quite frankly, keeping a woman at home and making sure she's absolutely covered and never speaks to a man and stuff like that is absolute respect for women. I, I'm telling you from Pakistani guys that I knew quite well that would tell me about this, like horrified that I reached out a hand to shake their wife's hand. Um, you know, when I wasn't quite culturally aware, uh, just saying, you know, and, and, uh, uh, other people from other places who have told me, you know, uh, uh, had, had Lebanese friends and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, dealt with people that are, you know, for lack of a better term, will go general Orthodox Jews who would tell you that respecting and protecting women in general is what they're doing even though they can't show their hair in public and, you know, all that. Uh, does that chafe the American ideal? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, here we go. What do their words mean when they say they're going to respect women? Uh, so is it a matter of a lie or is it a matter of a different perspective? Or, you know, as per usual, is it a nuance somewhere in between, right? And just a, just another thing that sort of occurring to me as we're, as we're talking about this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, maybe it is all just a coincidence. But, you know, uh, if you look historically at major coups and, you know, uh, overthrows of government, and I, I believe that... um. Uh, Douglas Valentine has talked about this um, in um, I can't remember uh, maybe like uh, what is it the strength of the pack or maybe or strength of the wolf one of his books uh, about the Federal Bureau of Narcotics he's, he talks about this a little bit in, in the beginning of the book mm -hmm. you can look at um, things like the uh, the overthrow of Iran you know overthrowing uh, Mossadegh also coincidentally coincided with Mossadegh uh, putting a, a banning um the uh you know the cultivation of opium right. which up until that time was you know F iran was a huge center for opium production um and you can look there are other instances where that happens mm -hmm. now is it a complete coincidence that the taliban bans opium in you know just around the same time that the us eventually ends up uh invading and, you know, who in those, especially in those initial, uh, you know, uh, months and year after the, you know, when they invaded, I mean, who was who was the U.S. relying on? They're all former uh, heroin trafficking warlords. They were they were all, you know, the Northern Alliance, all these, um, right. you know, uh, people uh, that were um, with like Dostum and others who were, you know, that's what they that's what they did. They now. Again, I I think if we were to, you know, I don't know, like think really strategically, maybe this is like, I don't know, too, too far, you know, too many moves ahead. But I think the Taliban is also cognizant of the fact that if they truly ban all of the opium, you know, you're going to have this massive group of people that suddenly don't have a job. Mm-hmm but do have access to some pretty serious, powerful people. Right. And you're going to create a massive, um, you know, movement of people that the U.S., which is, again, I mean, you know, the U.S. loves to work 
with drug traffickers, especially when you're talking about political movements and, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, these are people yeah. that have access to people with money, with guns. Uh, they can transport, you know, the transportation. They're able to fly and, you know, and, and move with trucks and stuff like that. Massive amounts of drugs across, you know, Central Asia, um, you know, and all over. Um, so, you know, I, I think the Taliban, I would think, is smart enough to also realize that, you know, we, we could create a huge enemy and a huge vacuum, which the CIA and others would love to fill. Mm -hmm. They've got this whole, you know, they've got a whole population that suddenly is out of work. It's not exactly like they're going to, you know, they may not be broadcasting this to everybody that like, oh, I, you know, sell opium and, uh, you know, and, and traffic it and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you're not going to necessarily like go out on, you know, on, you're not going to be interviewed on CNN talking about how disgruntled you are and, oh, it's so hard to make a buck. Um, but, you know, you might be more inclined to join up with some shady characters that are mm -hmm. offering, well, maybe we could, you know, you could start going back to growing this. Maybe we get rid of the Taliban, you know. So, again, just keeping that in mind. And and I'm trying to think. I know that the the Iran issue is always one or uh, that example is one that is, is you know, um, particularly big. I mean, and that was really like, you know, Mossadegh made this huge um, you know, big speech and this, it was really pushing to eradicate opium. Mm -hmm. Um, and I believe, uh, I might be totally wrong, but there are even, I think like, you know, like cables and stuff where like the Dulles brothers are talking about this and whatnot. So, you know, and again, I don't think that it's a complete coincidence that the last time they did this, the U S invaded and used all of those, you know, former heroin, traffickers as their their frontline troops yeah. so i don't think again with that in mind i don't think the taliban is stupid enough to make an enemy out of this huge and again like i think it's something like i don't know like 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 you know nearly half of the opium just produced in afghanistan comes from helmand province which mm -hmm. is a taliban stronghold Right. They're not going to suddenly screw over all of their their constituents right? Um, because, you know, I mean, I understand that it looks good in the international media and they might have to kind of put up a, you know, a show like that. But I mean, saying you're going to ban it and, you know, actually doing it are two very different things. See, I'm willing to um, bet that in the next few weeks, though, we are going to be confronted with images of the Taliban. Definitely. Removing. Cutting down poppies, burning yeah. poppies. I think definitely. Yeah. Um, totally. But it'll be done strategically. I, I really yeah. think that it'll be like, okay, you know what? You, you guys had the support of the U.S., you know, literally defending your fields, maybe some of those people may be made an example of. And that's another thing, is that how do you hand out a privilege if everybody's got it? You know what I mean? So we'll leave you alone over here because you've been our supporter. You who didn't, well, your field is done. We're going we're gonna to take it out. I mean, that's going to happen, and I think it'll be played in the international press as, oh, look, you know, even though they're they're rough on women and they're rough and they're, you know, kind of a terrorist organization, um, they, they're getting rid of the opium, at least. I mean, I really think they're going to try and sell that. But anyway, we're not going to solve it all today, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I didn't mean to, to go through this with you like this again with the drug trade, but I mean, 
after all, long before there was even a United States, uh, there were plenty of drug wars. And I don't argue with, uh, I forget who said it, but I don't argue with the guy who said every war is a drug war. Because, you know, you take a look at the way the, uh, the, the, the British controlled a great deal of the global map. And, uh, gee, I, I wonder if opium had anything to do with that. Sure it did. You know, right. there, there, there's been opium wars longer than there's been a United States. So, you know, even though we're a good customer now in the equation and that changed things, um, it doesn't mean that this is something that goes away. I mean, this has been, a, you know, history burping it back up over and over again as a useful means. And it serves many purposes. You can hinder a population with it. This is what they did in Asia for a long time. Um, and, well, it, well, what they did, I'm, I'm saying it like it's past tense. What's wrong with me? Um, I, I'm just saying, this is one of those things that we're going to see continue to play out, and it's not over over there, although allegedly, you know, the last plane left, and they're celebrating, and I don't know. But either way, Pierce, I leave it to you to tie a bow on it with the last couple of minutes here, and we'll close out this Tuesday show. Hopefully you'll be back again in two weeks, <laughs> and uh, oh, there'll be some other stuff to discuss. I mean, you know, there, there's more happening in the world than this, but eh, got to do it, right? Yeah, I guess, um, well, I would just, I mean, I don't know what to, to leave the listeners with. Probably just, I don't know. Keep keep an eye on on what's going on there. The the other thing I would say um, that might actually be playing a bigger role and might be even more important than um, uh, drugs in Afghanistan is something that mm. I'm, I think JP has talked about this uh, several times before. But I mean the amount of um, uh, minerals uh, mm -hmm. that are you know in play in Afghanistan, all sorts of rare earth minerals, gold, uh, copper, lead, uh, I believe like lithium and all these other things that are, um, which frankly, know, uh, which frankly provides various strategic options here where one could say that, uh, exploiting those resources is something that we're definitely going to see the Chinese and the Russians do in the very near future. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, some of those resources might be selectively, guess what? Just like we look at the oil trade kept in the ground in order yeah, to right yeah so well m much much the same way that it was in in iraq i mean most of that oil didn't really leave um, right. you know it seemed that it was easier to keep it there although i don't know i feel like um i think there are just so many people uh that are itching to kind of get into afghanistan and, and start mm -hmm. this i think definitely china um, you know, sees this as important strategically. Right. The other thing is that I don't know if, if uh, listeners have noticed this much, but, um, you know, there's been more and more reports uh, about the shortage of microchips, semiconductors. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all sorts of shortages, but in particularly in, like in the tech world, there are a lot of shortages. Off the top of my head, I don't know, um, you know, what Afghanistan possesses in terms of mineral wealth that could be, you know, used, um, you know, in that realm. But I assume there is a lot. I mean, there's all sorts of wild, insane, rare earth minerals that go into, you know, graphics cards, which are, 
extremely hard to find right now. Mm. There's also a huge, um, there's a lot of cars that, I mean, I think it's fine that there are less cars, uh, you know, going out on the road, but there are a lot of cars that can't be completed because there are no microchips. Um, and, and then there's you know, even cars are so dependent on microchips now. Yeah, and then there's even you know? simple things like you know printers and stuff that have been yeah. widely shorted in the supply chain. But again, there's a lot of things in play, and I'm glad that we got to go through some of it. Outside of the dope stream, there might be other things to consider here when it comes to the uh, alleged evacuation. The alleged war on terror, the alleged, oh my God, I, how many times I got to say it. Anyway, Pierce Redman, thank you for doing with this with me. Thank you, Chuck. <laughs> and we'll revisit it again in two weeks if you're available, and I hope you are. And also thanks to Mike Swanson for being with us in the first hour, and you, the listener, for sticking around and putting up with this discussion, because as per usual, I am merely Ocelli, and all of you are indeed the effect tonight. Thank you.